You're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Entrican, coming to you on Thursday, February 8th. We'll go over activities the club has been up to, from new corporate partnerships to charity telethons, and even updates about Tidewater Stadium that maybe, just maybe, can be the final time we have to talk about. We'll share what we've learned from Rhode Island FC's 3-1 loss, in its second-ever scrimmage in club history against MLS side Orlando City Soccer Club, and what they took away from the match as the club continues its preseason training with their first game just 36 days away. Joining me to talk about all of it is co-host Jason Carey. Jason, how is it going? Doing good, buddy. I uh, appreciate your optimism there in the intro, thinking that somehow this is going to be the final time the stadium is brought up. (laughs) Wait a second. Hold on. That's a blue card. Right there. I, I will not have you causing dissent in my intro. <laughs> You're getting a blue card. I know that we don't purposely bring it up because we're not those type of people. But when it is in the news, we will we'll bring it up. But um, we'll literally be at the game watching them in Tidewater Stadium. And there's going to be people who are like, oh, the stadium. It's just it's never going to end with those people. You mean they're going to be at the actual stadium and not content no, no, with no, where no, they're no. sitting? They're going to they're gonna be in their house on Facebook. Oh. You know that they, those people don't go outside. I mean, listen, I don't want to get into it just yet because I think it's a little bit further down in uh, what we're going uh, to cover today. But I do agree with you to the sense that there are going to be groups that, you know, never forget, never forgive. It's a very Rhode Island way of approaching things that you disagree with in this world. And so, you know, all I can say to that aspect is, I won't care because I'll be, to your point, at Tidewater enjoying our club do its thing. So, I, I mean, I hear you loud and clear. Part of our job is to report these things, you know, just it, it's it's the good and the bad. So I will always try to be as positive as possible because otherwise, if we start only being negative and, you know, depressing people when they listen to us, there's no point in doing this, right? Because I imagine people choose to listen to us because they want to be entertained and if all we ever say is stadium's not getting done, I think people are going to turn off, you know, the, the the podcast pretty quick. Yeah. Speaking of which, so let's move on. <laughs> great, great transition. <laughs> the best transition. So did you see that inaugural countdown on the website? You know, I did just see it right before we started recording. I uh, It's going to make my life really easy because every recording we've done, I've had to go back and count the, like, it's almost like I have an abacus. And I'm counting and scrolling how many days like I'm I'm moving my calendar and then I'm thinking, okay, if I'm in this day, is that plus one or is this day of? I'm not math was never my strong suit. So I now that the club has put a countdown on, I'm just it makes my life extremely easier. So thank you, Rhode Island FC, for taking probably one of the most difficult part of writing show notes out of the uh, out of the equation. Did you paint your abacus blue and amber? I mean, it was a it was an imaginative abacus it wasn't a it wasn't a real thing now i mean listeners if you have an abacus send it my way i will paint or you can paint it for me and i will use it but uh it was just an abacus of the mind (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into this we've got an action-packed uh episode to go over and i think the biggest news to kick things off besides the countdown 
single tickets are finally on sale. It has been a moment in completion. It has been coming since what? When did I can't even remember now. When did we do the ticket controversy pod? That was what August, like a year or two ago. I, I think we've only we've only done like thirty of these so far, so that's not that's factually incorrect. But I uh, I don't I can't remember I don't even remember when I spent money to buy season tickets. It's been that long. I'm not complaining, but you know, single tickets have been the question we probably get asked the most: is when will they be available? Can I get any hookups? Will there be any discounts? Can I buy more than one single game? Can you find me one for the Derby? Like that has been outside of the insider group that's asking me more deliberate questions about things they want to learn about the club. Tickets have been probably the loudest question and they're here. They're here so much that the club took out an ad on the front page of the Providence Journal today uh, to advertise as such, which I thought was super cool. We shared it in the social media today. Uh, And then also too, ironically, and I, I forget how fast advertising can work. In all of the places that I've been using websites that that do heavy like regional cookie traffic uh, tracking, I've already been getting Rhode Island FC uh, ads in my browser. So like those little sidebar banners and stuff like that. I guess it's a little ironic that I already have tickets. So if Rhode Island FC is asking me to buy more, I, I think we need to have a conversation. But nevertheless, I do appreciate that ads are happening. It's kind of weird. I and I'll try to tease this a little later, but. I see ads and like I almost like instinctively just like tunnel vision to what I want. Like I'm I'm objectively against reading or looking at ads, but of <laughs> course when I see one for Rhode Island FC, I get I get super excited. So I'm I'm all about it. Um, for listeners that still haven't bought tickets after seeing the ads today, after seeing the announcements from the club, you know we've joked like what are you waiting for? But but in all seriousness, we did a little bit of reconnaissance on the available ticket supply, and it is dangerously thin for some of the most important games and pretty low for the rest of them so i you really need to jump on this otherwise you're going to be trying to win them through lotteries or you're going to be you're going to be buying them on resale uh and that's just not that's not a fun time right so you can still get tickets uh the standard way of going to rhodeislandfc.com and going to their ticket space uh seatgeek now has you know you can just go straight through the app and, and select what has you know available supply and inventory Personally, if you're someone who isn't really sure if you'll participate in season tickets for Tidewater next year or you're still just on the fence this year, I would recommend going the direct route and just talking to a ticket rep. It's amazing kind of the confidence and the the function you'll get out of talking to someone who will give you kind of that quote unquote white glove service. So if you're still like in and even if you have questions, like there's some things that you want answered, talk to a ticket rep. You can call them at 401 955 uh, RIFC and just, you know, see what, see what is there for you. They can give you opinions on what games to show up for if you don't like what we've suggested. Um, but that's always the best route. So for anyone that's like close or they've been waiting, here's your chance. We look forward to seeing you at the games ahead. It's going to be super exciting. Uh, I can't, I just can't wait. It's what, 36 days. So I'm psyched. Yeah, we're getting there. I was, uh, taking a look through SeatGate, seeing, uh, what kind of tickets were available and, uh, I guess I already knew, but seeing those prices is like, wow, this is like incredibly affordable. I remember, and you know, that's the thing too. I remember when the season ticket announcements came out, there were so many homers and so many complainers in the sta- in, the, in the stands in the in the internet that were saying, "Oh, this is too expensive. This is this this disconnects fans, you know, true fans or true Rhode Islanders from the experience." And now like, you bring it down to the transactional level of per game cost seventeen dollars, nineteen dollars for a ticket. Like, get out of here. 
where are you going to find a better professional entertainment product within a hundred mile rate? You, you, you won't. So, I mean, it's just, it's the smart move. So we look forward to everyone who's going to join. And like I said, I'm, I'm just really pumped. And I'm even pumped about the bigger announcements and news that's coming soccer's way here in a, in a couple of years. So yeah, we're never going to financially recover from this one. <laughs> so uh, the World Cup schedule is announced here. Um, if you guys didn't know, in 2026, it is going to be here in the United States, as well as there's going to be some games up north in Canada and down south in Mexico, as all three of the countries are going to be share hosting them. Speaking of which, though, up to our north, Boston is going to be uh, at the Revs, obviously, going to be holding some games they've got five group stage matches and two knockout round games all of these being in 2026 we have june 13th 16th 19th 23rd and 26th those are all group stage games june 29th round of 32 and then july 9th the quarterfinal the final is going to be uh what a little down south of us over at metlife stadium which, if you guys have a note, they're not allowed to call it that. It's the New York slash New Jersey stadium. No stadium is allowed to have any. So they won't be calling Gillette Gillette. It'll just be... Well, and here's the... You, you just joked about the New York piece. Every major municipality is not in the city it's represented in. So like the the quote-unquote Boston, it's Foxborough, right? Yeah. The New York one, well, that's actually... Surprise, that's in New Jersey. The Dallas one, that's not in Dallas proper. Uh, Los Angeles is technically, I think, Irv, not Irvine, um, Inglewood. So like city to county ratios and all of that jazz. A lot of these stadiums are completely misidentified. So for, for the American population, like we all just know that, right? Like we we deal with it accordingly. But for all the foreigners that are going to come in, like can you imagine the person that shows up they fly into TF Green because that's the closest regional airport. They go to the game at Gillette, and then they stay at a Holiday Inn somewhere between here and there. And then they say, oh, yeah, I went to Boston. No, you didn't. You you, you think you went to Boston, but you didn't go to Boston. The 95 is the closest experience you got to true Boston environment. That That's that's insane that how many places we're basically lying to the rest of the world about where our stadiums are. Unless you pre-plan ahead your city to build around a stadium it's just unrealistic really quickly it's funny to think it over you know across the pond chelsea tottenham arsenal those are all london teams but the way their naming conventions work those are the towns so those are like suburbs of london right. and where they play but you know they don't they don't call them the london spurs <laughs> Right, but they, they knew then that identity with that many clubs in that space. Like, you couldn't fight for the heart of London. Like, it, it, I guess Manchester's probably the worst example of that because that's where there's evidence that, you know, clubs went at it and did exactly that. And there's other lesser teams that aren't in the, in the EPL that are also part of the Manchester space, right? So I completely agree with you. I just think it's fascinating that you say that in a space that what, what England is – the UK is the size of, I forget, it's like maybe Maine. It's not very big. And, you know, we have all this land, all of this space in America. And as we've built out and we're a much newer country altogether, all you know, we didn't we didn't get our stadiums in the right positions. Unlike Rhode Island FC, whose stadium 
is going to be in Rhode Island. See, we didn't <laughs> we didn't call ourselves Pawtucket FC for that very reason. We nailed it. We we set out a very easy objective, put it off the board. We got it. <laughs> nailed it. Um, but anyways, real back back to this World Cup schedule here. So no American group stage games will be over here on the East Coast. Those are actually all on the West. Is that not crazy? I, 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 I saw know. that and it was like, are you are you kidding me? Like every game, and someone was like for travel and for ease of scheduling. Like we're in America and we're only recognizing the West Coast gets access, immediate access, I should say, to the American, to the USMNT games. That's insane. I wonder if there was some more thought put behind that that we just don't know. I wonder in terms of population um, who watches soccer. Does the West beat us out on that? I don't so, know. No, no, it came down. I know what it came down to. Um, it, there was a report from, I think, LA Times or New York Times uh, that the stadium situation in um, Los Angeles was they had initially pulled out. They wanted to be in the contention for hosting duties. And then I think something happened with their, they, I think they demanded that they would get the final. That wasn't going to be offered to them. So then they, they you know, took their ball and said, well, we're not going to play. But they needed the infrastructure of the th- that's a very new stadium and it has all of the facilities that FIFA would be looking for. And so they went back to the table and said, OK, well, what what do you want then? And that was the concession that they asked for. Now, I don't know if they demanded two of the U.S. men's national team games or at least just one, but they did get the opener one for them. So that must have been the criteria um, because I look, if, if you remember back to League's Cup, there were times where two Mexican teams from Liga Emekis were playing in a stadium at, and it had like 6,000 people there versus any time there was the MLS equivalent against the Liga Emeki rival, the stadium was to capacity, right? So the, there's very much a, an understanding that if you don't put your home country in these large-scale capacity stadiums, there's a good chance that maybe, just maybe, um, that fans don't show up, at least American fans, right? So it'll be really interesting um, on... On that aspect, but I, I will ask you this question. So, since we know we don't know when America will will play it, right? But we do know that historically, I don't think they've gotten outside of the group the group of sixteen, and they made it to what the quarterfinals, I think, in two thousand two. Was that the farthest they've gone in the last since like nineteen thirty two when they got to like third place against Uruguay or whatever that was? Off the top of my head, I don't. I don't remember. Okay. Well, I just know that the round of 16 typically knocks out either America or Mexico. I know it's it's hard to get past that that layer. So I'll be interested that, you know, when you look at the round of 32 and the quarterfinal, those are still two games that Gillette will host. There is a possibility that we would see the men's national team come play here. So when you said earlier about being broke, we were going to be broke just to watch like Cameroon versus Egypt at Gillette. We're going to now be even more broke if the likeliness of one of the teams, like whether it's Canada, America, or Mexico especially, or even one of the more popular teams like Portugal or Argentina, if they show up, this we will never. This podcast needs to start getting a lot more donations. We need to save that money now, invest it in Bitcoin, hope that it spikes, and then we can recoup and then and actually attend these games. Maybe sell a kidney. I don't know. You still have one? (laughs) I thought I thought you gave both of yours up for charity. No, I still got him. Congratulations. <laughs> so back to it, though. And this is kind of like the last fun exercise that I wanted to talk to you about. Knowing how corrupt FIFA is, knowing that we're expanding the playing field to 48 teams, knowing that America 
is already playing wherever whatever their group is in the west coast do you think there will be any kind of jury rigging to see other clubs or not clubs other countries play in certain markets like because i think about the contingencies that make up rhode island and like my mind races immediately like portugal would we see portugal up here in new england because of the 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 portuguese uh influence that exists here would we see italy here uh for like the northeast area like what what do you think do you think we'll see any of that or do you it will truly be four random teams possibly um i mean i think portugal will make it um italy's been struggling lately to qualify for stuff even though it is expanded we'll just have to wait and see on that one the one thing i would say though is I imagine American soccer fans will travel, though. So, you know, wherever they put it in our country, we're such a diverse country that I don't think there's going to be any, like, dead rubbers here. And even, like, foreigners will, like, oh, I want to go to America. Like, you know, Ohio is hosting a game. Okay, whatever. (laughs) I'll go there. (laughs) No, I, I agree with you. Morocco was my favorite uh dark horse of the last world cup you know seeing how far they could go so i completely agree with that uh i if we don't travel to follow certain clubs or certain teams i'm content with just watching every single game no matter who the participating audiences are for for the world cup so i'm just i'm just really excited do we do we think that this has i mean we've kind of asked the club already it's too early for them they've shared but do you think this has any significance for Rhode island fc or the uh, the facility of Tidewater at that point. Obviously, it, it could be a training ground, but it's in the summer where most clubs will be taking breaks. I don't know if the USL takes respects international breaks. We're going to have to find that out. But do they stop play, or like would we see to keep the, the guys in shape and match fit, would we see them scrimmaging against you know the likes of, you know, I don't know, uh, the Ivory Coast's, you know, squad before before a game, you know, or Senegal's team. Like, what, do you think that's something that could happen? Possibly. I'll be curious to see. Um, like, USL generally doesn't follow any of the sort of international breaks in that regards. But if there's a World Cup in the same country as the league, I almost wonder if that's like a time that the league will step back and say, you know, maybe we need to take I don't know, like a few weeks off in the group stage or something. I don't know. I'd just be curious to see how that pans out. We had mentioned a few times, multiple times at this point, that this is going to be huge for soccer in America. So I just think it'll be very important for the club to uh, make sure that they really latch on to the World Cup and all the excitement that's going to bring to soccer in America. Yeah, it's almost as if playing a game and keeping your season running is in direct competition with something you know you wouldn't be competing with. So eyes would be in bars or at homes attached to games around the country versus probably going in that moment in time, if they compete, right, with time slots. So it's a it's a fascinating conversation that we'll have to unpack as, as we get closer to uh, 2026. It's so crazy to be talking about plans in 2026. I haven't even planned any vacation yet for this year. <laughs> and I'm already thinking about 2026. It's it's just insane. Yeah, I'm like, uh, can I take an entire month off? I guess I'm just going to do literally nothing else that year. <laughs> I will have a kidney donated, so I need to go on a, a month-long LOA if that's what it takes to get the time off. So 
I'll just find a, I'll find a sponsor. Um, but yeah, so let's let's move through it. Uh, we got a couple of other pieces of news. So we've got a couple of additional partnerships at the corporate level for the club that they announced. And again, this is really one of those things where they they just kind of choose where and how they'll announce. Sometimes it's just directly to the website. Sometimes it's through their uh, LinkedIn and Indeed profiles. Sometimes it's through social media posts. Um, but we uncovered a couple more uh, announcements that had happened over the last uh, week or so. Uh, and the first one being uh, the Wide World of Indoor Sports, which is the complex that uh, Rhode Island FC was using uh, up in North Smithfield when they had their open practice and media day. So the facility is an amazing facility. It's I, th- I think it's a significantly bigger or at least a little bit bigger than the Bryant uh, practice areas that they have for indoor use. Uh, and you know this partnership makes sense because listen at the end of the day bryant is a very active space we saw that during the departure for the for them for the guys leaving to florida we saw tons of college athletes coming and going using multiple avenues and, and spaces within the facilities there so it's it's a cohabitated and shared space it wouldn't surprise me if this partnership manifested due to the needs of sometimes they probably just need to stretch their legs get out from you know the 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 bryant facilities and 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 have some private sessions they haven't been able to practice a lot in the outdoor space which coach kind of shared was a big opportunity and one of the key components of going down to florida to 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 practice and and do their preseason scrimmages so i can kind of imagine that this is more of a transactional partnership uh and then of course just bring awareness that there's a facility in north smithfield where where athletes fans and and you know youth can go in and practice their their trade yeah with our incremental weather here i imagine it makes sense to have somewhere you can go to make you know to just get some practice in in case it's not so great outside it makes me still wonder if long-term strategy if the club will set up a partnership with their own facility whether that's let someone else buy it build it develop it and then outside of the times and days that Rhode Island OC needs it, you know, they can co-opt it and source it to other other groups or if they'll have like their own facility just in general or if they'll always just rent and borrow other spaces. Uh, obviously, Hartford built theirs out of a need. So I wonder if we'll do the same in the, uh, in the year or so to come. So interesting. And then on top of that announcement, not to belittle Wide World of Indoor Sports, but we got the big one. We, we Rhode Island OC went out and they did it. Oh, yeah, boys, they got it. Dells, the 75-year-old and third-generation family company, will be the official match day presenting partner for July 5th. Okay, so let's unpack that. That was a really weird way to say they're a corporate partner, and then they called out one specific day, (laughs) right? So they're they're not the corporate partner for all days. They're only specifically right now announcing that they're the official match day presenting partner for July 5th. July 5th is going to be one of the hottest games of the year. I mean, I know technically it gets hotter into like almost August, the first week of August, but that's going to be a day where everyone's going to show up. We're looking for outside activities. I'm saying it now. Dells, they need to give us all free frozen lemonade, just the way that 7-Eleven does free Slurpees on their namesake day of going on July 11th. We need to make this a national holiday in Rhode Island. Free Dells. 7-5, only at Rhode Island FC's uh, game. Calling it. How good would the RAFC kit look with a Dells logo in front of it? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't think Dells 
I don't think Dells has enough money. Yeah, I don't to... think they have the pull for that, but it would look great. So I, I, you won't hear about this until next week, but we did sit down and talk with uh, Breeze Airlines. Had a really great conversation about the future evolution of their sponsorship and uh, and work ahead. So we we'll we'll share that in the in the time to come. But I do know that the the contract and the money that they're spending, I, I just don't think that's Dell's money. You know, having said that though, how much money do you think a Dell's cart generates? revenue wise in the summer oh it's just a money printing machine isn't it i but okay but like qual quantify it for me like how many dollars is a little bike cart not the not the full truck rig like just the little cart with the umbrella how much money is a dell's cart bringing in in the summer what do the dells go for this day these I, days I, I never even ask they just like say give me money and i have like a five or a ten and if they give me money back, I tip it anyways because it's like that college student, you know, like I'm trying to be charitable. I have no clue. Yeah, there's certain things in life that you just buy and you don't you don't question the cost. You're just you're just doing it. Let's just throw out a number. Let's say it's five dollars. Five grand. one million dollars. Okay, great. One million dollars per cart. Five Excellent. grand a cart a day. I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how much their huh. frozen lemonade. Like I don't know how much inventory that those things can carry. Like they could just run out of supply for the day, right? Oh, is there a is there a Dell's reloader that's driving around and hitting? There has to be. There has to be. Like those airplanes that attach to other airplanes to refuel them? You're getting ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm going to say that those carts per summer, they have to pump out like 20 grand. A day? Or did I say summer? I meant per month. Oh, okay. I thought you meant per day. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe it was just out of it. I'm good at math, but I need pen and paper. <laughs> you need an abacus too, my friend. <laughs> um, so, okay, moving on. The big question. So now we've got California Taco, we've got Stackhouse, we've got Dell's food wise. What's missing from the Rhode Island Hall of Fame concession wise? Just like a general support of hot wieners. <laughs> okay, so no we <laughs> will the leave them unbranded cuz that could that could start a civil war amongst the state depending on who you ask. Yeah. Different okay. people like different places. You get you have to do an, like some sort of coffee milk has to be on the menu. An awful awful and pizza strips oh did you see the dave portnoy uh barstool uh pizza review of, of pizza strips i didn't watch it but i read an article and he uh wasn't that into wasn't it wasn't a fan wasn't a fan nobody and like it was sad i watched the video and, and everyone's like it's just this thing we're all known for and no one hyped it up it was very rhode island right like yeah it's just this thing we do and just shut up and eat it and, you know move on <laughs> it was it was i was i was i always like i always defend it because I want to have other people share in the misery. I mean, I, I do love them. I also want to be on the record. I stand by pizza, pizza party, pizza chips, pizza strips, whatever you want to call it. I stand by them. But I don't argue the case that it's just bread and sauce. Like people that come and say, there's no cheese. Like, yeah, you're right. Do, it, do with it what you want. But uh, no one defended it in front of El Presidente. So, okay, well, we've, we've got the concessions still can't to go. Win them all. <laughs> listeners if there's something that we did not add to the list let us know we'll make sure the club hears your voice loud and clear that we need to add that to the uh to the lineup i mean knowing the club the way they're pushing this uh um you know regional uh clam kind of thing maybe that... they're not pushing anything they've backed down completely on that they they i think they heard enough great feedback from people that wanted to participate and i think they heard enough complaints and concerns from their supporters groups they will let it be organic at this point uh and if i find out it's that thing that the other group wanted to name it then i will 
scream collusion and that this wasn't the case. But for now, <laughs> all parties have said, let's just let this, let's gestate on this and let's let it come out naturally. So I'm all about that. Um, but we got to move on. It's tons of stuff to cover. So they, there was a telethon that Rhode Island FC proudly took part in. Uh, and I had no idea, which is weird because I usually ask for events and like what's going to be on so I can do planning and, and you know, all of that stuff. And uh, yeah, they participated in the 40th annual Meeting Street Telethon uh, last Saturday. And it was an effort to join, you know, multiple popular personalities and community members across the state to raise money for a nonprofit dedicated to bringing hope and possibility to families of children with profound special needs. It's, I, I did some research on it. I wasn't aware of Meeting Street before, uh, you know, kind of learning about what Rather Than FC's participation was. Super, super great organization. I was just bummed to realize that there was a three-hour live broadcast on regular TV, you know, on WPRI, and we just completely missed out because not only was President Brett Louie and Chief Marketing Officer Sabina Feldman on to support taking calls and donations, Chip, Chip was on. And if there's one thing I know, I know player signings, I know player rumors, I don't know who plays Chip. It's like the close. It's the most closely guarded secret at Rhode Island FC. You like congratulations to that. You will never find that out. You have a better chance of <laughs> of like robbing Fort Knox than you have of learning this person's true identity. I've never even heard him talk. He talks. You know, he talks through his hands, right? He he uses body language. I would have happily called to get a telephone call so I could have started doing some due diligence and and investigation on who Chip is behind that seal mask and it was a completely missed opportunity i wonder if this wasn't something the club brought up because in terms of audience i don't even remember when the last time i had television was like i I, i've had various forms of internet subscriptions to watch soccer but it's got to be over a decade and i imagine a lot of our fan like soccer fans, they do tend to be younger. Younger, do they have television? Do they watch television? I mean, it would have been great to know. I listen. I don't ever broadcast what my personal lifestyle choices are and assume that's others. You know, these could be people that still live at home where there is TV, right? Like, you you never know. In, in any of those cases, uh, I'm I'm sure if we did a demographic pool on like our Google Analytics, I'm sure it can give us like age ranges and and all of that stuff. All I'm saying is, is that they went and did this. They they generated almost uh, $640,000 in donations, which was incredible. But if they told us that, like I would have called just, I would have called just to mess with Brett and Sabina. We're like, hey, <laughs> I'll donate, you know, $20 right now if you tell me who the next signing is. Or if you tell me the, you know, if you give me permission to come to a game and watch, or if you get Bermuda to broadcast that game. I will donate a hundred dollars right now. Now I don't know if that's like worth it for them, but like I would have, I would have done things, and I'm sure a support like the supporter group defined sixteen thirty six. I'm sure they would have done something as a charitable act. That's part of kind of their mission statement as as what supporters do. So I'm not, I'm not saying the club did anything wrong. If anything, I'm just saying we could have done some more to help. Like I could have broadcast this uh, here on the podcast. I could have put social media out there. Again. They, they did an awesome job. It was a great thing. It seems like they all had a great time. I saw a picture of Chip hanging out with Batman and, and a Pikachu that had a Pikachu inside it. It was like Pikachu-ception. It was kind of weird. Um, but it looked like a really great time. And uh, I've learned a couple things. I now know that Chip knows how to use a phone. 
I noticed he also had a backwards hat on, which is your signature move. So you have competition now in the hat backward wearing you know game. And I've also learned that um, our club just continues to do really amazing and charitable things uh, with with the group. So for the next one, for the 49th annual meeting street telethon, uh, I hope we get to uh, help contribute and donate and, and maybe get fans in the supporter group behind it as well because it's just if, if it's for a good cause that's like literally why these groups exist why fans care about stuff like this so i just really great to see i remember growing up uh pbs i think broadcasting used to have yearly telethons they're still watch. around they still do that yeah i i mean i imagine they still do i just like i said have not watched tv in a long time and i used to watch those all the time hey we can watch tv together okay i'll go get a subscription to regular tv and we can just sit down and reminisce about the good old days you know? remember when we had to sit through commercials i mean that's coming back i don't want to go on tangents but i've reduced some of my footprints and subscriptions to not offset costs but like if i don't use it for more than like one show i or like so for paramount not to not to call them out by name but for it's pretty much just for soccer we go to watch a show and it's it's like oh here's two minutes of ads because you're on the lowest tier and it's two minutes of ads every 10 minutes it's like oh man we're yeah. right back in the thick of it i only ever use it for champions league so all the ads never, are on the billboards around the around the stadium yeah and there's no commercial breaks there so i never realized it had ads it's why soccer is the most pure sport because you don't have to deal with any of that so anyways okay we got we gotta move on it's time it's time to actually get into the stadium update i know you wanted to start with that but listen i put it here in the notes and also on top of that i wasn't ready to get into the negative space until i had had a real positive discussion about how we support families uh of children with profound special needs so now we're now we're into the other side we're on we're on the dark side of the uh, of the moon here but but there's a ray of light right because guess what that stadium it's it's complete in terms of financing it's not complete in terms in terms of construction yet but we did it there there should be at this point no additional conversation in terms of if it will get done that does not mean that we will not hear and read and see in the future naysayers who are concerned with what it took to get that across the board but for all intent we did it the stadium has all of the funding has been completed so the big news of the day that was uh, that Brian Emerald from the Boston Globe broke was that the city of Pawtucket had announced the closure of their bond sales, uh, which was the last remaining component that they had started back in October. If you had listened to the interview with Mayor Don Grebian, um, Pawtucket was uh, at that moment in time going through negotiations for those bond sales. In fact, he had said himself that it was a very delicate time uh, for the committees that were issuing that. And whether you call this bad news or just good news that it got done, the the main talking point in the article, and I'm sure we'll hear about it more uh, in the months and years to come, was that the bonds were issued, but because of rising lender costs, uh, inflation is still very much a real thing. Uh, the rate that they were hoping to capture uh, was increased by about 2%. So instead of a 5.5% increase, uh, or not increase, but uh, loan rate, uh, the interest rate was actually 7.5. And as a result, that took what they had projected would be either somewhere between a 36 to $48 million uh, commitment to sell the as- the required assets to cover the $27 million bond issuance. Uh, it, the price tag on that's going to now come up to $54 million. So we've increased those costs again. 
and those costs are what has to be paid back over that 30-year issuance. So while it's not an immediate thing that will directly impact taxpayers today, uh, that is something that, you know, when you think about stretching anything over 30 years, that's that's hard to forecast. That's hard to predict. That's hard to see what will happen that, that far down the road. I don't even know if I'll be alive in 30 years. So it's like, it's it's hard to say that this is something really great when it's it's a ways away. But what I do want to make sure that people take away from this is that the amount of money that was put into it remains the same. So even though the rates were higher for everything, what's really happening, and again, like if I get something wrong here, it's just because there's so many different dollar amounts that are in these articles and in the the proposals that go out. But the way it still works is $27 million was the direct fund that the city of Pawtucket had uh, planned to issue with their bond coverage at that 30-year payment re or repayment. And then in addition to the $27 million, you had $10 million from the COVID relief fund that had been sequestered a long, long time ago at the, at the first uh, issuance that the club was going to be created. The only thing that has changed in that $10 million relief fund is that it was originally earmarked after construction efforts had been finalized, and the city actually had released those funds earlier to help put into and continue the costs of the construction. So we just got kind of an advancement on that versus it being paid at a later date. And then we have the $14 million in uh, tax credit or rebates from the state. It, this one's a weird one because I, I I look at it as the equivalent of you go and pay, I don't know, $500 for an item and it has a, has a $100 rebate if you mail in the rebate, right? People do that hoping that you get lazy and forget to do the rebate and they don't have to repay you that 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 discounted price. Obviously, the state is not going to forget uh, the obligations of the club to repay that. But Rhode Island has to spend the money first before they're going to come back and then recredit it. So that's $14 million in additional dollars that we have to spend to get said rebate. It's not like we're getting an immediate um, discount, if you will. So that leaves Fortuitous and all of the uh, founders and owners of the club, as well as the Tidewater Project, to uh, continue to pay the the gap of what is left from that space, which is about $54 million that the city, state uh, have provided. So with that, Fortuitous has put together the $50 million plan that will cover a majority of the rest of the $110 million uh, finance requirements. So there's a little bit of a gap there. But again, Fortuitous and Rhode Island FC have already announced that there is that mysterious angel investor who uh, will cover any other gaps in the club. So basically, all of the money is locked and secured and the commitments have been made. We shouldn't have to be talking about this other than when other people bring it up to complain that it's, you know, an eyesore or that it's too loud or that, you know, hammering is is giving someone migraines. I don't know what that will be. But... <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about the stadium not ever being completed again, which, again, if you remember when we had those recent interviews, even during the the coach's time trying to talk about the performance of the team, there were concerns about the stadium's costs and if it would actually be completed. So I think I think we can finally put that to bed. We, we will still be talking about it, but it's done. They did it. <laughs> completed. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, like put some sort of uh, donation, like charity penalty, for any time one of us brings up the stadium, even as a joke. We'll we'll have to explore that as like, so, like throw a nickel in a jar or something. It's gonna have to be more than a nickel to make this a serious charitable donation, but you know we'll we'll figure that if out. If I had offline. a nickel for every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so moving on from one stadium, 
let's talk about another one. So Tidewater is in the rearview mirror for at least the time being, but it was really exciting. I don't know who put this together. I don't know if it was Defiant 1636 or if it was the club or if it was some combination of the two, but those two groups joined forces to have a kind of send off for the for the team before they headed down to Florida and the IMG Academy for their preseason uh, practices and scrimmages. So they invited fans out to say goodbye to the players at Bryant University on a somewhat brisk morning that then turned into afternoon. The time kind of kept changing there, but we showed up and we saw a ton of, I, I, they want to be called 36ers, by the way. I thought it was like Defiance people or Defies. It, they, 36ers is apparently the name. So there was a bunch of 36ers as well as some other fans that had caught wind and they had they had lined up outside where the the bus was going to load and they were banging on some awesome new drums. I've I've never seen drums that nice by the way ever, but they they were banging on some drums, waiting for the players, you know, screaming that oh, people had jerseys, people had signs and the when the players came out they started collecting autographs and pictures. Some of the players didn't get the memo and they just like kind of went straight into the bus. Because, you know, no one told them, like, you're going to do this and then you're going to do that. And then when coach realized that not every player had gone, and it wasn't intentional, right? It wasn't like they were trying to, like, like separate themselves. Coach said, hey, like, these are these are the lifeblood of this team. Let's go out there. Let's make sure that all the fans, you know, get whatever they're looking for, whether it's just a hello or a signature. So all of the team came out and uh, and interacted with all of the fans that showed up. And it was, it was just a really cool experience. We didn't get that because we were busy interviewing people in a very noisy hallway. So we got we missed out on that. But it was uh, nevertheless, it was exciting to see the pictures and then kind of see the aftermath of those of those interactions. But what I wanted to talk to you about was your thoughts on the stadium, because one of the unintended bonuses of going through and meeting with the players as they departed was we got we hadn't been back to the Bryant site since the Bulldogs game we went to in like August or September or maybe it was October. I don't remember, but it had been a long time. That stadium is coming together very quickly. Yeah, it's looking good. We, like you said, we have not been there in a while. So we took a quick little tour, walked through the parking lot and saw that new uh, stand. I was, I honestly was a little surprised. I, I didn't think it was going to be there, but then also knowing how long we have till the season it makes sense that it's up already yeah i was i was thoroughly impressed with the amount of infrastructure that was put in place i really appreciated as as the defiance group walked through one of the the first concern they had was that because it's still also a football stadium use the goalposts were up for the for the standard kicking of you know gridiron and like you saw those yellow posts right in front of the 36ers support section and they were like um those are those are coming down and i i just leaned back and tease like no those they can't get rid of those those are permanent and and they immediately was like wait what we have to <laughs> we have to cheer in behind the, these monstrosities so those poles will be coming down as was was what the club had let us know but then it was also great to see the the way the field had been i guess painted is the right word or i don't know what they did for the for the astroturf but it didn't have all of the grid lines and once you saw a lot of the fans that had shown up kind of noticed that too one of the other big concerns about oh like we're going to be a soccer team on a on a football field no it's as best as you can make a pitch look it's it was pretty it was pretty spot on i was really impressed with the amount of work that went into the um 
that went into the, the, the whole stadium project so far. Yeah, it's looking really good for a temporary home. I think uh, there's not going to be much complaints, if any at all. I The only thing I'll say is that if the, if the Defiance 1636 is as loud as they intend to be, those stadiums uh, stands, I'm sure they're to code, I'm sure they're to compliance, but like, oh my gosh, those things are going to be rocking. That's all that, That's all I can say. So I, I challenge that group to, to bring the thunder, bring the noise, because it's going to be an exciting time. The one thing I did want to talk about, though, is we were working with some of the some of the club officials were there as well, and I still I, I think one of the biggest questions I'm going to have about stadium operations with with Paul when we get him on the podcast is the parking situation. Defiance kind of identified their lot that they're going to be allowed to have their pregame celebrations, their 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 partying, and kind of just their general hangout space. It wasn't where I thought that they would be getting set up, which isn't a bad space, but I kind of thought you would want, and, and please, Defiance, don't don't yell at me when I call you this, but I kind of thought you wanted their, the cheerleaders at the front or in a space that, you know, could get other people excited. Like, this is what supporter culture looks like. This is what, it, this is what being a fan of this club means. And, and maybe they're going to repurpose that area for other things like tents or vendors. Like, I, I don't know the entire vision yet. We'll, we'll wait to see what that is. But I, I kind of had anticipated, because in most stadiums, you, one of the entrances, if it's a multi-entrance facility, is usually completely taken over by the supporter group, right? It's like whether that's their unique entrance or that's just their space. It's always like one of those, you know, just completely dominated spaces for them to, to be in. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'm wrong, but seeing where they were positioned, which was a little bit further south and a, a little bit further away from the main entrances than I had anticipated, especially when you know that a lot of fans are going to be like kind of gravitating from the main campus or from the auxiliary parking lots. It just seemed like the the spot that I would have not put my best and most passionate fans. But but I digress. Well, in in Paul Byrne, I trust. So we'll we'll go from there. Uh, any other kind of takeaways before we move on? Just real quick, I think part of that is just them dealing the cards that they have in their hand. You know, I imagine they probably would like the 36ers to be a little closer, but that lot there off to the side, you know, is going to serve the purpose for, for the year that we'll be there. So I think it'll be fine. So now we have uh, an opportunity to share a quick few segments of interviews that we got with uh, some some up uh, with a player and and Coach Kano that we were able to pull aside as they were walking out to the bus. I will warn everyone: the audio is not great. We almost thought about not adding this in and paraphrasing and just kind of reporting on it. But let's be honest: you guys want to hear from the source of truth. You don't want to hear it from from Jason and I. So we're going to give you the 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 best possible audio we can on this but for those of you listening on headphones i would definitely just be prepared for some spikes and some sharp uh sounds because it was a very noisy corridor where we interviewed coach Kano. and before we jump into it i also want to give credit to sam minton from the blazing musket he was on site and we were taking turns asking questions of coach so uh, the other the other voice you'll hear is uh is sam's from the blazing musket so here you go I mean, Coach, just overall in general, can you just kind of talk about, you know, how preseason's been going and also, too, just opportunity to kind of go to some warmer weather and face some, you know, uh, quality opponents? Yeah, it's been going good, you know. Obviously, we're a new group, so we wanted to get them together a little bit earlier um, and as early as possible. So they're gelling. Um, you know, I think the personalities are starting to come out. Like, they've been a bit shy, so they're all 
oh, good guy. He's a nice guy. So it's, you're starting to see the, the lighter side of him coming out now. So as a team, they're, they're gelling well. They're buying into how we want to play and talking a lot about it. Obviously, a lot a lot of room to grow. But, yeah, you know, it's, this would be a good opportunity for us. We talked about um, coming back a better team than we left. So that's the goal of the trip is to go down there. And that's all components of being a team. It's on the field, it's off the field, being closer, being better friends and teammates to each other. So that's that's the goal of of what we are trying to accomplish. So we talked to them about obviously the club invested a decent amount of money in this trip. So that's the least we can do is come back a better team today when we come back than we are today. Coach, you're obviously a veteran of the USL, but this is your first chance to build a team from that new with a brand new preseason. What are some things that have uh, surprised you in, in starting this this whole project as a, as a preseason effort? Yeah, it's always challenges and it's always going to be something that you've never thought of. As much as you try and plan for stuff, it's always going to be something that's going to come up that you've never thought of. So, you know, we just try to keep the small things small and, and really focus on the things that matter. So it's, you know, it's, it's been challenging and not being able to be outside. We've only been outside three times. So we've been indoors. So that's probably been the biggest challenge that we can't really do stuff in big spaces. Um, we've been doing stuff on the small spaces. So. Obviously, it'd be a real good opportunity to be able to get outside and do stuff in big spaces. Just kind of overall, generally, there's a few comments from some players. Can you just kind of talk about, you know, guys like Connor McLean and Gabriel Adlis, just what, what they've been able to bring to the team and what you've noticed about their kind of play style? Look, I mean, all of these guys that we brought here, they're obviously they're good people um, and obviously good players, so obviously unique in, in everything um, that they do. They're all different players, different people, but... For the most part, we wanted to build a team with a lot of USL Championship or higher experience, and we feel like we've done that. So we feel like we have, you know, obviously a, a new group, a new group of people together, but we feel like we have some really good USL Championship experience in our group and some some higher. Coach, you've played on some smaller spaces with some of the limitations with indoor practice. What are the things that you're looking to really expand upon when it comes to getting out in the, the open grass in the field? Like, what are some of the objectives of the team to accomplishing these uh, scrimmages? At? Yeah, we talked a lot about, you know, obviously uh, what I, what we want our identity to be um, without the ball and being able to, to win the ball back quickly and be aggressive and, and put teams in uncomfortable positions. So we feel like we've accomplished that. But obviously now I feel like we, we need to grow as a team is in possession and, and our ability to be patient and um, really create some quality goal-scoring opportunities. So that's what we need to do. And, you know, I believe you talked about before, but can you just kind of talk about, you know, the strike position, you have a lot of great players, you know, what's it like to be able to have that competition, but also does it kind of make your job a little bit harder, you know, weeding out who's going to eventually get in the starting eleven? Yeah, I mean, those are good problems to have. Goals win games, so we have enough goals up there. We met with the attacking group the other day and we told them to look around the room and look how many goals are sitting here from last season and other leagues in our league. Um, so we just say, yeah, obviously it's, it's going to be competitive, but I would rather have too many good forwards than not enough. I think we... Uh, just yeah. one more question, specifically with Doyle. Can you just kind of talk about the experience that he brings, obviously, from overseas and just maybe what you've noticed about his game specifically? Yeah, Mark's a pro, you know, Mark's only 24 years old, but he's been a professional since he's been 16, so it's eight years of professional experience already, so he, he certainly has been that, and he's been in a, in a good football culture where, you know, in Ireland, the game is, um, I don't say more important, but it's certainly more in the culture of the community than it is in the greater community here, right? Obviously, the soccer community is small, but... In Ireland, it's it's a bigger part of the bigger culture. So he brings that, he brings that experience, and 
I think his teammates like him. The guys like him. He's, 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 a, he's a favorite for sure in the locker room. So, yeah, he brings that. He's always happy, always competes. You know what you get every single day. So, so that was Coach. Uh, nothing really new in the perspective of what he hasn't already answered in the past. Maybe a couple of different interesting uh, takes on it. But, you know, it sounds like he's just someone who he's more club development focused than anything results uh, oriented right now. And he's just looking to continue to see uh, his group, you know, continue to work on the, on the skills and the technicals that he's looking to have ready to go before game one against New Mexico United. Any, anything you took away from that when you heard him speak? I guess I never really thought about it, but when you're practicing indoors and I've been to a similar facility, those are not full size fields. So it does make sense to want to get outside and have like, you know, practice on a full size pitch because you can't play the same way in those condensed fields. So for them to get some real practice towards getting on a field against a, a professional USL team, you can't only be practicing on those, you know, like, I don't even know what size they, you know, like, 60 percent 75 percent fields yeah and especially if you watched you know doyle in his time in ireland or if you watch any of sadie's highlights those are both players that like to really stretch the field and go you know wide i think i think even mark said it in his interview he really likes to be kind of that out and out winger um so that that is that's a great take i also remember too and we heard it afterwards uh when some other people had confirmed the alleged scrimmage that had happened last week that one of the key notices that uh rhode island of c showed was that they were still playing very compact and tight and that probably is a result of at the time just you know limitations of the environment that they could play in so that that sounds that sounds very spot on to me about one of the one of the key things that coach wants to make sure he can come across. I think at some point we need to study the stadiums again. I know the last time we talked about it, we really just kind of looked at what was a baseball stadium, what was a really nice professional stadium. But I think we should probably go back through and, and especially when we start doing the the predictions, we should understand what those dimensions are. And if that plays to the strengths or the, or if that hurts the team based on their style of play, because I have no idea what width requirements are, um, in, in the USL space, like, obviously there's a standard minimum, but you know, are there ways that clubs can just go wider or longer? I, that that's always decided by the league. So we'll have to find out more about that. Yeah. We'll have to look into that. I think length is set is the same, but you can definitely, you know, certain teams like to play wide, certain teams like to play more narrow. So that's just one of the cool things about soccer is that there are some differences from stadium to stadium. And then uh, we are excited to bring you a couple of minutes of time talking to Stephen Turnbull. Again, the audio is not great because of this corridor we were in when we tried to interview. So we we hope you enjoy. Obviously, we'll try to get better uh, sounding interviews in the future when we talk to these guys. But Stephen was really great in how he uh, had some conversation with us. So here he is. First question, how are you transitioning into Rhode Island? How's the how's the move been? How's the weather? How's all that going for you? Uh, yeah, it's been really good. Honestly, I like Rhode Island a lot. Um, I think it's pretty relatively similar to where I'm from. It's not too far. Um, you know, the move was a little hectic. Um, just trying to get all my stuff from my apartment in New York to uh, down here. So, you know, but my family helped a lot. So I had a, a lot of hands on deck and... They made it really easy for me. 
Um, it's been really cold, to be honest. Um, I wasn't expecting this much snow. I think in my my first week here, it snowed more days than it didn't. So, you know, that was, that was pretty crazy for me. Um, we do get snow in New York, but I feel like, you know, it's been a while since I've seen snow, and, and you know, I've seen a good amount in my, my first weeks here, so, uh, which is good. But, yeah, so far, everything's been great. People's been great. You know, team has been great, so I can't complain. You know, one of the, the one of the marquee moments of your acquisition to the club has been your, ML, your, ML, your MLS presence and veteranship. Can you talk us through, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of concentration and discussion has been around that tenure, that time. What's it like transitioning to USL now at this point? Uh, it's definitely different. You know, I think um, when you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, where the leagues are, it's it's a little bit of a difference. Um, obviously, you know, USL is is making its, you know, growth in the direction of where the MLS is. Um and there's always going to be challenges with that as a player. Um, I think when you come from that level and the way that, you know, some organizations are ran at that level, and then you move to, you know, the USL level, it's it's a little different. And, you know, there's challenges that come with that. And there's also, you know, really good things that come with that, you know, because, you know, maybe you go from being a small fish in a big pond to going to a small pond and being a bigger fish. You know, like there's, there's pros and cons of it all. Um, and I think for me, it's just really about like embracing, you know, the pros and letting go of the cons, you know, and just kind of enjoying the moment and just enjoying the year. Um, you know, it's a good opportunity for me. Obviously I got some, some good game time in the MLS, but you know, now it's, it's a different pivot point for me where I can focus more on myself and growing as a player and, you know, playing key minutes and being involved in key games and being a key player and, you know, all the things that I wanted at the MLS level, you know, is, is what I feel I have the opportunity to get. Obviously, it's too early. We're still in preseason. But, you know, watching your, your games with both MLS and uh, the New York City FC2, you're very comfortable both in the offensive third and in the defensive shape. What would you say that you're bringing as like your unique uh, additional flair to the style of play that coach is trying to create here with Rhode Island FC? Um, I think for me, something that's always been my strength is, you know, my ability to do both. Um, I think, you know, some outside backs might be more attacking minded, but, you know, care less about defending and some of them defend for their life and they don't really like to get forward. Um, I think for me, finding the balance of being able to do both is probably where my strengths lie. Um, and yeah, I think the, the system that, you know, Kano and the staff want to play here, you know, it definitely fits my identity. It's, you know, high intensity, high pressing, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. And I think that where my strengths are really overlap with what they're trying to implement. So I think, you know, for me, just being able to give the team everything that I can in the attack, but also, you know, hold it down in the back is, is going to be, you know, pretty crucial. And what do you say to anyone that is, you know, considering USL, Rhode Island FC, you know, this is a brand new club. There's a lot of expectations. What do you tell the people that don't know what we're going to look like when it comes to game one and, and the season as a whole? Uh, it's, it's tough. You know, I've had a lot of friends, you know, reach out to me and say, Hey, how's it going? How's the team looking? How's this? How's that? Um, you know, it's hard. It's really early. Um, we're just kind of getting started and really, you know, starting to play games now and, you know, put things together and stuff like that. You have trialists who come in, they leave, you know, new guys come in. It's, you know, in the first few weeks, maybe the first month or two, it's kind of like a revolving door of players and 
you know, different things like that. So I think it's tough to really say, you know, what it will look like. But, you know, what I can say is that it's really trending in the right direction. And, you know, we're, we're making steps every day. You know, we're going down to Tampa. We're going to be there for two weeks. I think this two-week period is where we're going to see the most growth in the entire preseason. So, you know, it's it's like an exciting time for us. And, you know, I, I wish I had a, you know, a definite answer. But, you know, it's it's just, you know, it's just going to take time. Only time will tell. So that was Stephen. Uh, Stephen, by the way, I asked him, is it Steve, Steve Rooney, Stephen? He, he very clearly said Stephen. So, um yeah, and that's important because, like, if someone called me Matthew, I would give them the eyebrow. So, I re- I respect that. Um, what did you think of Stephen's interview? Uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, he's a nice guy. Good chance. Nice talking to him. Um, I'll be curious to see what he looks like out for there. I'm not too familiar with his uh, play. When I've seen highlights of him, it is like ninety percent of him attacking. So when he said that he is well-rounded and and good defending, you know, I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to seeing that. It must be hard for a defender to show quality, you know, highlight reels of tackles, of stops, because so much of what your play is is just how you position to force the, you know, incoming offense to do what you want them to do, right? So that's just got to be, for some video editor, that's got to be the most difficult job in soccer is how do you make a defender look really really good i think it would just require someone with with a high soccer iq who really can can look at it and say oh wow that was a really good play but even then it it's not going to be exciting for the general purpose so i understand why highlight reels tend to lean towards attacking i imagine if you have access to like um what's that y scout it's probably going to you know, give you more defensive stuff, but that's not something we currently have our hands on. So, so from there, the guys uh, jumped on a plane, headed down to Florida for their preseason official, you know, offsite preseason activities to start, which takes us to their scrimmage against Orlando City at their. I don't know if it was. It wasn't their main field. It was definitely one of their practice fields. And first things first. I was just really excited. I wasn't prepared. I, I I had done all these things months ago, maybe even years ago. Um, but I had set up all of the soccer notifications on the multiple apps that I use uh, to cover, you know, clubs of interest or leagues of interest. And I was completely taken aback when in the morning I got all of these Rhode Island FC events because I'd also prioritized them as the highest of the pecking order for my apps. So suddenly seeing multiple places say there's a game like taking place in 30 minutes, which that wasn't accurate across the board because, it, I mean, it was a closed-door scrimmage, let's get honest. But it was just really exciting to see, uh, finally, you know, my my club show up on my cell phone in, in exciting ways. But before we get into the game, I do want to give huge props to the Loud and Proud Orlando podcast that covers the Lions. Uh, we were trying to find multiple ways to get in to get access, either at a media level or even just a fan level. Uh, to just just get things between scoring, uh, any assets that would come out from a video or audio standpoint. Uh, LPO was amazing in giving us access and helping collab with the post-game highlights and the reels. So big shout out to them. Uh, really appreciate their not just support, but just their passion for the game. Uh, I hope that we can collaborate again in the future. Um, but let's break into this. So first and foremost, you know, it's a scoreline that everyone's already been made aware of. Uh, Orlando City uh, won the game three to one, 
with Orlando's Jack Lynn scoring two goals, uh, opening up his account for the preseason in the 43rd minute, and then scoring a second goal in the second half at the 50th before Rhode Island FC finally responded with a goal of their own in the 84th minute. Um, But then Orlando closed the lid on the game with an 87th minute own goal, resulting in that 3-1 scoreline. Listen, first things first, you saw the highlight reel. You, you, I know we talked about a little offline. What were your thoughts after watching what we could see, which was also, let's get honest, a very, a very heavily skewed Orlando highlight reel. Like what, what were the takeaways you could get from that? So technically it's two, two, right? We just scored one of the goals in the wrong net, (laughs) but yeah, you're You're going to do great this season in in helping me break down games. I love it. Fantastic, right? This is your preseason trial too right now. I mean, <laughs> I'm working with a highlight reel here that was shot as a very interesting angle and was very, very pro Orlando. So like, it, it was good to see our guys out there on the pitch, but for me to like read into anything from that, it, it, it's hard to uh, to really tell what was going on there. There were a few... They did show us, you know, send a cross into the box and attack it, but just didn't result in anything. There was one play down the wing that looked promising, but, you know, the Orlando, I assume they would have fullback tackled it, kind of stopped it. So you're not already grabbing your pitchfork and saying Kano out? No. <laughs> I was honestly waiting for some troll from from somewhere to to throw that into the socials. I was ready with an answer. I was going to say hashtag Kano Stout and someone get that man a Guinness and let him enjoy the rest oh, of his day. I, I can't wait till, uh, you know, one of the local breweries makes a Kano Stout. <laughs> that would be a good one. But listen, I, I agree with you 100%. It's really hard to have meaningful takeaways. So some of kind of what I had in that space was I noticed that a lot of the highlights had attacking coming down the right side of Orlando's offense. So that tells me that the likes of Jojo Quazera and Gabriel Alves were probably put on assignment for the day if if that much pressure was coming down that, that right side flank. So I also noticed that they did make some inward cuts, but it looked like a majority of their goals came from like one, two combinations back down the other side. So that's, you know, take that for what you want for the for the six versions of, of the same cut we saw. And then on top of that, from talking to people that were at the game, uh, we learned a little bit more about uh, kind of what went into the space. One, I think it's important to note that we didn't get blown out for the for the game, right? So they fought back. They got they clawed one back, which you know you said two two as a scoreline. But if you remove that eighty seventh minute own goal, you know it was basically a two one scoreline, which is respectable. Yeah, garbage time goals don't count. <laughs> that that's respectable in any in any league. So I'm just proud that the club was able to fight back in that moment. But some of the things that we did learn. So one, it's also worth noting that Orlando City kind of had not their second squad. It was it was second squad he- uh, heavy, but it was a mixed influence of kind of that roster depth that the club would need for their own campaign. Now. What's important to take away from that, though, is is that that would still be the same kind of caliber of team we would expect to play for a game like the Open Cup, right? Where that's exactly what you would see a Division One team play as as a as a majority of their reservists or their bench uh, their bench warmers, and then you know bring in a couple of those sprinkled senior or veteran players. So this is very much within the caliber of play we should be expecting. This was not like some academy beat up session, and so really proud of of 
the club. And I'm also really grateful for Orlando giving the club that chance. But then in the spaces that I was able to learn from talking with people on site, there was a couple other things. So one, it was definitely a tale of, you know, mixed lineups again for each of the 45s. Uh, It wasn't as much as the alleged scrimmage where they were completely different sets. There were absolutely players that did get extended minutes that stayed on. I don't know if they played the full 90 or if that was some sort of version of like 60-minute runs, but some players are already getting stretched for their their fitness and their their match their match health, if you will. So that was good to hear. And then we also know that there was a lot of promising attacks from Rhode Island FC. While the scoreline is the scoreline, uh, one of the one of the media from Orlando had said that there were multiple instances where or, or Rhode Island FC just looked good, but they hit the crossbar. Uh, apparently, we hit the crossbar a lot. I don't I don't know if a lot is twice or if it's if it's once or you know sixteen, um, but apparently there were multiple opportunities that Rhode Island FC just couldn't get the ball, you know, into the into the net as if the the crossbar itself was kind of like that twelfth man for Orlando. So that was interesting to hear from the Orlando side. And then when I asked if they could give me some references on like what players stood out, they had had like a they had, they had printed an image of the roster as it was. I don't know if it's from the website or they got it from somewhere else, but it had really blurry pictures. They said, and so they said that the, the center backs looked really good. All of the center backs that came on, um, they had a lot of grit and they had they showed up really well uh, in that space, uh, but no names. And then they did say though specifically they called out Amos Shapiro Thompson. They said Amos showed up really well. And then they sh- they said that one of the wingers also did some extraordinary had some extraordinary gameplay. At that point, that kind of tells me. I mean, it, it, we have a lot of winger representation now. I don't know if that was Doyle. I don't know if that was Fusan or Sadie. But they said that one of the wingers definitely was was putting in some work uh, against the Orlando City side. So I thought that was really good. I tried to ask, and this is this is the only kind of controversy part that I can I can say. I tried to ask them if they could identify the lone goal scorer for Rhode Island FC. And and he said, you know, he was honest. He's like, listen, I, I can't, I, from the distance I was at, I couldn't really make out all of the players. But from who I saw, it didn't look like a player on the sheet that I had. And so he asked me if the club had brought like any trialists. And I said, well, yeah, there are some unannounced uh, people and, and there could be other trialists on site. We don't, you know, I don't know that as as, as the podcast guy. But he said that it wasn't someone from from the paper that he had printed out. But he also said that he could be completely wrong because it was hard to to identify that. I did ask the club if they could confirm that. And the club uh, respectfully said that this was a closed door scrimmage and that they that they would be keeping this under wraps for the time being. So unfortunately, I don't I don't have more to give on that. We It wasn't a definitive uh, player that I could say today. We know for sure who was, you know, the, who it was that scored. But similar to the alleged scrimmage uh, to our less than best in the West, <laughs> I I will tell you the same thing when we allegedly won that game and now we definitely lost this game. It doesn't matter. These are just moments in time for this club to come together. You heard Coach say it himself. His objective is, is that this team becomes a better version of themselves than before they left. And it's moments like these that will help them bond, help them gel, and help them come together as a club to support each other and and become a successful uh, winning side. So, like, to me, I'm just, I'm happy that they got moments. We talked, we reached out to a couple players. They were all really grateful for their opportunities. They were excited that they got to be there. Obviously, they wanted to win and that didn't happen. But this isn't, this isn't some negative aspect. This isn't, this isn't anything other than it's preseason and it just doesn't count. Yeah, I guess we could also phrase that different 
it's not that it doesn't count. It's that the result doesn't count. It's the action of getting out there, getting the guys some minutes together so they can, you know, gel as a team and uh, just develop, you know, like, and like coach said, come back as a better, better unit. So let me ask you this question, because I'm sure it will come up down the, down the stretch. If for some reason we don't win a majority of the games in preseason, is that a canary in the coal mine situation? Is that a is that a red flag, or is it like do we just need to continue to reinforce that the results don't count until there's an actual match, a competitive match that matters? I don't think it'll matter unless somehow we start the season with like a multiple game losing streak. But you're talking that's the official season. Yeah, the I'm talking a- just preseason. Season. So if we no, we could go and lose the rest of them, and as long as we keep hearing things like from this game where they put up a good fight. They just couldn't find the back of the net. The team looks good. They're just maybe, you know, like when you, you see a team and you can tell that they're really good. It's just that, you know, they signed a bunch of new, like half the team is new maybe. And it, that core unit is still there. They have the coaching. It's just that that final third pass is just off or, you know, someone didn't make, didn't make a run or they made the run and they didn't find them but you can see what they're trying to do and they have a coherent structure and style of play then honestly I would not be worried you know also I when I when I saw this scoreline I was a little disappointed because I don't follow MLS that regularly and I think of Orlando as one of the worst teams in the league I didn't realize they were second place last year. Yeah, they so did really actually, well. And they were 2022 Open Cup winners. So actually, this is not bad. We we narrowly lost to one of the best teams in the MLS. Oh, yeah. Listen, I, I'm in the same camp. I don't think results matter as long as you're seeing the right development and you're seeing the right behaviors come out of the team. I, I find it really fascinating as I've listened to other pundits and other other people that contribute around the league as they've tried to rank and identify where Rhode Island FC kind of shows up in preseason success. And there's a lot of people saying, oh, well, this club's too new. So by that default, they're not ready to face what the USL has in store. And, you know, I, I remember re- I remember hearing from some group that they had Hartford at like sixth best in the East. And I think we were at ninth by their rankings of, of most complete teams. And it just boggled my mind because we have, we have, to, we have a position – we have every position we need for the style of play that coach wanted to build. We did it by, we did it from scratch and we mostly have depth in every single role. So, you know, when we talk about being new, if to your point, if this club can already compete and, and be a threat to a second place side, even if they're having some of their own reservists, you know, you got to remember, and I'm not saying that all of the USL veterans on the squad will get the starting eleven. But we're not a new team when it comes to knowing what the league is going to be facing. Our coach is from this league. He's spent four years here. We have in every role, we have a player who has played in this league for at least a year and shown incredible statistics and results in their performances in this league. So we're not we're not facing anything that any other club that's going through a rebuild, which a lot of USL teams retool every season. It's not, it's, it's, I, I just, I think that we are going to be a very, a very crazy surprise for a lot of clubs, especially out the door. And the last thing I want to say on it was in the player interviews, 
He was really fascinating. I don't remember his name, but it was the second Orlando player that interviewed before we got to the scrimmage reel. And they said, we didn't know anything about this club, which is unusual because you get the video analytics. You get told what their composition and what to watch out for was. And that player went out of his way to say they were dangerous because of that. Well, guess what? That is what at least our first five clubs that we face, which are some of the toughest competition we'll have all year, that's also going to be what they face in an unknown quantity. So for those that say our lack of being in the league is going to hurt us, I still think it will also accentuate us, especially if the coach continues to build this. We're not calling it a culture, but it is a culture momentum in in the in the team. <laughs> yeah, I I understand where people are coming from, though, in regards to not betting on us. These people aren't keeping track of this club the way that we are and some of the other fans are it's easier to kind of bet on the clubs that you know. But yeah, I I really do think that this club is going to do very well. How well, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm going to say it's third place. I'm going to say it's... Th- I, I Some people have said fourth is like the safe, they'll get a home playoff berth. I'm going to say third place. We're going to be third place or better. I, I, don't, I won't predict the, the actual playoffs. That's... So teams are just unpredictable at that moment in time, but I think I think third place. Yeah, playoffs become a bit of a coin toss, but third place would, I mean, that would be a fantastic finish for the first season. Agreed, agreed. So uh, let's let's start kind of unwinding this because we're getting long in the hours here. I, there's no player rumors that we can talk about now, although I will say there have been some incredible sleuths who have been working through recent images and pictures uh, that Rhode Island FC has put out. And they've seen some faces that uh, are not on the current roster. So, you know, we know who those people are, just knowing from the trialist numbers. But I imagine that the club is being intentional in not announcing those yet. That's also why I think they won't tell us who scored the uh, the goal at the OCSC game. You know, time will tell, but we, knew, we know that there's at least a, a couple more players on their way in. So look forward to that probably in the next week or two. But I really actually want to share a moment where there was a really great story that came out from Rhode Island FC on another signing, which was equally important to the club. And that was that the club has gone and signed head athletic trainer, Therese Rewald. You say Rewald? That is one of the, I I should have looked first, but I've also learned that broadcasters and podcasts and pundits, they don't do research all the time. So yeah, they're not always right. And I guess without knowing the origin of that name, it's hard to... Therese Rewald. I'm going to say Therese Rewald. But I also appreciate that the club even acknowledged in their post that she goes by T. So that's going to make my life... She's now my favorite person in the world because I will never screw up the letter T ever. So (laughs) T joins from DC United, where she served as the head athletic trainer for the DC United Academy, Academy. as well as fellow USL champion side Loudoun United FC. The club is super excited for this signing. It's a really great it's a really great pickup and I love that they used the time to announce it uh, especially on a day that honored women and girls in the sporting world. Uh, it was a it was it's one of those like national days that you know you would need a separate calendar just to track all the different things that are celebrated each day of the year, but it was just a really fitting story to share. So T's going to keep our our team healthy. And she's going to make sure that they're ready for their game day. So super excited that we have her on the squad. So uh, congratulations to her for for landing that role. I think we can. Well, what else we got? Uh, we got some events here. We, we got some events. Up. Okay, yeah, some events. So this Saturday, February tenth, RFC's officially hosting the Bayern Munich 
versus Bayer Leverkusen watch party at the German American Cultural Society of Rhode Island. Kickoff is at twelve thirty. Are we are we gonna be there? Oh, that one could be a barnstormer. I think we should probably go to that. We're gonna uh, we're gonna go up. We're gonna be there. So for those listening, Friday tomorrow we're gonna be there. If you want to hang out, talk soccer, ask us questions, come hang out and watch some good soccer. And uh, we got back to the uh, German American Society here. We got another event on Saturday the seventeenth. RFC will be in attendance at the Fasching Festival. Did you know what Fasching wasn't before I added that? I did not. I looked Neither it up. Neither did I. I had no idea. I didn't think anyone else besides Brazil did carnival. <laughs> yeah, so for the uninitiated, Germany celebrates carnival the same way as Brazil in uh, a festival of, of, of sorts. It's not exactly the same, but uh, it's called the Fasching, the Fasching Festival. And uh, I, I looking at pictures both for what the uh, GACSRI will be doing as well as like what it looks like in in germany itself it looks like an incredible time i'm only i'm kind of bummed that we found out after it was already sold out like i it was really sad to have to put out in the notes like yes they're going to be there and unless you already have tickets you're not going to be able to attend that was that was the saddest part of that announcement yeah that's unfortunate but hey do you think we can do you think we can smuggle ourselves in and say we're part of the club maybe i don't know let's do it (laughs) have our fashing uh outfit underneath We'll see what we can do. <laughs> and then uh, anyone flying to Bermuda anytime soon? Streaming's not looking good, but remember, those matches are going to be on February 24th and the 27th, respectively. So if something happens, we will let you guys know. But right now, maybe not. Again, Brett, I would have donated $100 to allow someone in the club to just put a camera on a tripod and just i would have donated that so that was a lost what's lost opportunity what's the flight range of a drone and how much do they cost <laughs> <laughs> if you have to ask you can't afford it uh, i will say also though uh just to kind of make sure that everyone stays updated you know uh on top of the bermuda games rhode island fc will be taking on a to be determined uh club in the next couple of days we're assuming it's uh on the 10th because that uh, lines up perfectly with their next match in Florida, which is the uh, New England Revolution 2 on the 13th. So every three days, give give the players a little bit of chance to rest and, and do regen and, and continue their training before they head to the Bermuda Games. And then, of course, on the back half of February into the first weeks of March, they'll be playing uh, two additional games, uh, which we're hoping to be a part of with Providence College and New England Revolution 2 again. So more to come on that. All right, and the official, unofficial fan meetup has been set for March 2nd at the Guild, still a to-be-determined time. But if you want to come out, meet some other fans, the club, the 36ers will be there, and just, you know, have a good time. The Guild's a good place to be. Can't go wrong. What what do we got listener question-wise? All right, and super fan Tim here wants to know, which Paw Sox mural are you going to bid on for the uh, home studio? I uh, I love that this is such a good question because there's been such a uh, there's been such a definitive line of you know like if you're if you're Tidewater you're anti McCoy in this whole space. Um, listen, the, the correct answer is Wade Boggs, whether because you know of the legend of who he was, or you've seen the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where you try to do the Wade Boggs challenge on a plane. So, in that spirit. I want the Wade Boggs one. And then if I could go so further, 
I would then add renditions of the Always Sunny in Philadelphia cast around him. So, you know, I wouldn't, I would not deface the preciousness that is the Wade Boggs mural, but then I would have adjourning or adjacent ones of each of the Philly cast members so that it could just honor that, that, that effort. Um, so Wade Boggs is the number one, but I also assume that's probably going to be one of the most popular ones to grab there. So do, do you have a take? I mean, I would go with Wade Boggs as well. Um, I recognize a few other names there that, but being since I'm not a baseball game, the fact that I recognize those names that mean they are big baseball players. So those are going to go fast. You know, if I had a choice, Wade Boggs, obviously for the, it's always sunny nonsense. So you, you're saying you have to go for a more obscure, lesser known player who was maybe big with the Paw Sox, but not didn't make it big in the professional leagues. So you're saying Dick Pohl. <laughs> you got to go with Dick Pohl. Did you know that Nomar Garcia Parr is married to Mia Hamm? I did not know that until you said it. I, I wonder if we need... So, so, so there are members on Rhode Island FC's team that are in direct working relationships with the U.S. Women's National Team and the USSF and all the alumni like Mia. I wonder if we need to almost like tell her that it's there and then have Mia like go buy that and then <laughs> and then bring it into Rhode Island see or just take it home for her husband. I she needs to know. That's a that's a fascinating fact, by the way. Yeah. Um but that's all we got question wise for this week. Oh I have one last question for oh, you. We got another one. So Valentine's Day is between now and the next podcast. So it's coming. What uh what's the best Valentine's Day gift you could ask for? For me? Just got... just in general. Oh, you can okay. you can make it about yourself if you want to be selfish, but I mean I don't usually get <laughs> Valentine's Day gifts. <laughs> wow, way to call me out on the podcast like that. Um, uh, I'll get you something nice, buddy. <laughs> no, listen, I'm helping listeners. This isn't for you. You made this about yourself, classic Jason. Well, obviously, you want to get them an RFC jersey. No, you want to start with single tickets for you and your loved one to go attend a game in the near future. That's the best. That's the best Valentine's Day gift you could ask for. Yeah, I just didn't have the foresight to see that. <laughs> but you know what? If you can't afford a ticket to a game, you know what's better and it's free? Um, no. What's that? Rating and subscribing to our podcast on whatever social media platform you listen to it on. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, uh, for everyone that has a loved one or celebrates, have a great Valentine's Day. And uh, we'll 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 catch you we'll catch you next time. Take us out of here. All right, you guys can catch us on Twitter, Threads, and TikTok at RFC Podcast, Instagram at Raising Anchor, and we have a website www.raisingancorpodcast.com. Anchors romantically up. <laughs> Anchors up, buddy. <laughs>